John chapter 13, verses 1 to 17. It was just before the Passover feast. Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. The evening meal was being served, and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, You do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, Unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord Simon Peter replied, Not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, A person who has had a bath needs only to wash his feet. His whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? he asked. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. I tell you the truth, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Here ends the reading. Good morning. Well, this morning we're going to have a look at your servant king. And when we look at your servant king, automatically we have the flip side. We're going to be looking at you. These two things always hang together. When you look at these sort of passages, there's lots of emotions, there's lots of thoughts that rumble around your head and your heart. And when you think of today being Anzac Day, and we look at a servant king, and we look at Anzac Day, and the people that went out and served your country, served the world, and died for it, They didn't do that because it was convenient to them. And the same thing is when we are serving our Lord and Savior. It may not be a convenient thing for us either. Neither was it convenient for Jesus to have to go to the cross and die for you. Nothing is really convenience. It's a matter of a heart condition of who we know who he is and how we respond to that. 
But let me begin today's message by quoting what Paul understands Jesus to be. In Philippians he says, Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Let us pray. Our loving and gracious Father, we come to ask that you will open our hearts and minds, that we will come to understand what this really truly means to us. What is it that Jesus is teaching the disciples that we may gather the understanding here today that we too will grasp the, everything that he is teaching, the things he tells us, that teaches us, and the severity and the seriousness of it all. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, from here on, this is chapter 13, and all the way through to chapter 13, we are told of all the interaction between Jesus and the disciples that was to be the apostles. So, it was just before the Passover feast. Jesus knew that the time has come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. And speaking of the love of Christ, and love of Christ for his people, that we also know that the Bible is more than just a historical document. It is indeed an outline of God's interaction with his creation. And the Bible also considered the Bible, the scriptures, to be a love letter to his chosen people containing promises of salvation and forgiveness. However, we also know the Bible is littered with warnings of consequences for any rebelliousness against the Lord. See, the first verse today gives us a clear indication that Jesus is now speaking to and teaching his own people. This is for them, for you. People who have been called by God, given to Jesus by the Father. And when we use language like this, some people tend to some places get upset with us. They claim we are being unkind, we are being unjust or even judgmental. But I can tell you that is absolutely not the case at all. We are simply using scriptural language given to us by Jesus. We as his chosen people, being the church, are considered the bride of Christ. As we read in Revelation, it says, Hallelujah, for our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. For the wedding of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. We are that bride. So when we are called the Bible a love letter given to only to his people specifically, it is in the same way as a bridegroom would never write a love letter to anyone else but his wife-to-be. That makes sense, doesn't it? So when verse 1 states, he loved his own who were in the world, scriptures are speaking of those of us called by God, given to Jesus, 
to be his for eternity. I just want to make abundantly clear that none of this is unjust, evil, or unfair in any way, shape, or form. The sad truth is that no one, no one deserves to be called and saved by God. But in his grace and mercy, he has chosen for himself a people that he will make holy and he will make them clean through the sacrifice of his one and only son, the Lord Jesus Christ, which is why also we spoke of repentance last Sunday. It is part of what we do. Anyone who truly, truly understands the mercy that is poured out on them by God would obviously also come to repentance knowing that he has saved us from our sins. Which brings us to verse 2. The evening meal was being served and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So we're given a scenario here. They're in the upper room. The disciples are no doubt at this stage also confused and not to mention that they're probably greatly worried about what is happening here. They had been told by Jesus over and over again that he is going to be handed over and he's going to be killed. With all this crowding in on their minds, sitting there with Jesus, there's a need for something that's going to happen, something that will grab their attention. I read a story once about a, a farmer trying to get a donkey to move along and he's screaming and shouting at this donkey and telling it where he wants it. <laughs> and another guy comes by and he sees what's happening and he says, may I help you? And the farmer says, yeah, but I've tried everything. I screamed at him for over half an hour. So this guy goes over and gets a piece of wood, bashes the donkey between the eyes, and he says, now, hee-haw. <laughs> and the donkey moves. And the farmer goes, how does that work? He said, you just need to get his attention. <laughs> okay. We need to be doing something that gets your attention. With all this, of course, they also are able to listen and actually sit and listen to what Jesus now tells them, which is also what Jesus does next. Verse 4, he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, wrapped a towel around his waist. What does that mean? Well, his simple act of wrapping that towel around his waist is a sign of servitude. This is how slaves and servants were dressed, and he's now dressed the same way. After that, in verse 5, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. In those days when people arrived for a meal, it was customary for the slaves and the servants to wash the feet of the guests as they arrived, as they walk around in sandals, have dusty feet, so they washed them. Again, this must have been confusing, but also it would have grabbed the attention of the disciples at this point in time. Let me insert here the importance of all this. The disciples had a fairly good understanding at this point of what is to come in terms of where Jesus is heading and the ramification of the events that are coming ahead of them, not to mention the benefit that they know they will receive because they know that it is for their salvation and it is indeed from the death of their teacher Jesus that all of these benefits are going to be derived. 
And when I say there has to be a moment and something had to happen that would grab their attention to be preparedness, to listen to what is he telling them, it is also what will happen or has happened to you and all of us at some point before we stopped and listened. To me, it was a car accident, massive, total wreck. Uh, the ambulance driver coming around the corner to deal with it thought he was going to scrape me off the road, but I was actually unhurt, basically. That brought my attention. That made something in me go, there's something more here. But also, it was a time when I was willing to sit and listen. God will, in his own ways, bring each of us to the point where we are indeed willing to stop, sit, and listen. Sit at the feet of Jesus, read his scriptures, and learn. Only you, only you would know what event that was in your life. And I hope that you, like me, cherish that particular part of your life, the day that you sat down still and listened. For the disciples, this event was the washing of the feet. They now were willing to listen. That was the turning point for them. It also should be the turning point for us. This is the time they arrive at the understanding that their lives from this day on should be devoted to serving others in the likeness of Jesus. Up until now, Jesus had been their teacher and he's obviously been a miracle worker. But now, now he is their servant king. God in the person of Jesus Christ was in their minds. He was no longer solely their teacher nor their Messiah, but their ultimate role model in how to conduct their lives all the way through to the day he returns. But as we will see, it'll take more for Peter to actually grasp hold of all this. In verse 6, he came to Simon Peter and said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus replied, you do not realize what I'm doing, but later you will understand. No, Peter said, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered, unless I wash you, I have no part, you will have no part in me. Then Lord Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my heads as well. Jesus answered, a person who has had a bath needs only to wash his feet. His body is clean and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that's why he said not everyone was clean. The whole conversation that goes on between Peter and Jesus here confirms what we know about salvation. We are saved from our sins, and we are promised an eternal life with Jesus. Maybe not just yet, but still future to us. To be completed when Jesus comes back to fulfill that very last promise to his people of bringing us home. Peter here also will have to wait to be what Jesus terms you are clean, not every one of you. Peter and all those that are called by God will be clean in the eyes of God once Jesus have died and been resurrected. For Peter and the others in this upper room this night, that's still, of course, future. For you and I, it is finished. It's been done. The washing of the feet is also a reference to the continued need to clean what is still in the world and attached to the world, so to speak. 
In this scenario, it is their feet that touches the world. In our scenario, it is our sin that are very much part of this world that we now live in. And as Jesus cleans their feet, so we come before the throne of God confessing our sins and we repent of them. That is, that is the, what we continue to do till the day he also arrives and brings us home. That is how we do that. In verse 12 he says, When we had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you? He asked them. So you call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for what I say, what I, that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash another's feet. How do we wash one another's feet in that regard? Well, this is about a loving fellowship. We are called not to judge each other, but we are called to hold each other accountable. We are to be accountable to the word of God and for the confession of, of faith that you once made, that you believed in the Lord Jesus Christ to be your saviour, that he died on the cross for your sins, that he was resurrected on the third day. That confession you made also is what we're going to keep you accountable to, held accountable for the life we lead as well and to keep helping me to keep my feet clean and your feet. I will hold you accountable as you will hold me accountable. That is how we clean each other's feet. We will bring us each other to repentance. Now verse 15 says, I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. That's exactly what Jesus has been talking about all the way through here. We are obviously to do what Jesus did. As he served his people, so are we to serve his people. That will take some real commitment. A commitment that means we're no longer looking at the inconvenience of it, but the fact that we need to do it. When we are dead tired, we need to get up and do it. That's what Jesus did. We read about a whole of life of Paul. There was never a point where he did not serve. To continuously try to be like Jesus will require an incredible motivation. So you can then ask, well, what was the motivation that Jesus had in himself that made him continue and walk willingly to the cross? Well, back in verse 3, we had... Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he knew that, but more than that, he trusted it because he knew it was the truth. It speaks to the state of mind of Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power. He had the authority of God the Father and had completely trusted the Father's plan. We also know from Colossians, God was so pleased to have his, all his fullness dwell in Jesus and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. So we know that he had all the power, he had the authority. Jesus also knew that he had come from God, fully understanding and knowing in his divine nature, being God and Jesus knew he was returning to God. In light of this, 
then what is your motivation? What is the thing that should be driving you each and every day to live a life that shows that you love Jesus for what he has done for you and truly want to be like him? I mean, we always keep saying that, won't we? I want to be more like Jesus. Well, first if we read in John 1, 1. This is for you and I. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So we know he is God. We also know that Jesus, who died on the cross, is God. And we also know that he did in Colossians. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He has the authority of God in him fully. And he's promised in John 14, 3. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. So we know, therefore, he is God. He has got the authority and he has also created us. He has chosen by him and we're going to be with him forever. We know all that. We know all the things Jesus knew. We too are from God. He created us. We have been given his Holy Spirit. We have his spirit in us. And we shall be Him with him in heaven always for eternity. Even if it's not just today. And then Jesus gives them a final reminder. In verse 16, I tell you the truth. No servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Considering the life that we read about in the Bibles, in Acts particularly, about the life of the apostles, it is clear that they had come to an understanding of the message given to them by Jesus. All of them suffered martyrdom for Christ except John that died in prison on an island of old age. So they gave their lives. They served the Lord fully. The apostles were called by God to serve. But they were called exactly in the same manner that you have been called by God to serve. All of us. So now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. See, my dear brothers and sisters, that's not just an encouragement from Jesus. You should look at it, read it, and consider it a commandment that needs to be obeyed if you know who he is and you truly love him. Let us pray. Our Father, you are, you are love. You have shown us through your Son, through your willingness to offer him as a sacrifice for us. We pray, Lord, that by the guiding of the Holy Spirit that you also have given us, that you will open this truth to us in a way that is simply indisputable in our hearts and minds that we will serve you, serve your Son with our whole life, be it convenient or inconvenient, tired or not. May we be like Jesus and simply focus 
on you, Lord. May this be every day of our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.